Welcome to the Dietitian's Dish Podcast. We are Gina and Nicole, two dietitian mamas and good friends living in Ohio and Michigan. This is a podcast dedicated to making whole family wellness more fun and less stressful. Whether you're listening in the car or slumped on the couch with a glass of wine, welcome. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us. I'm Nicole, and today I am joined by my handsome husband, Mark. And we're just going to talk a little bit about my time away at the Food and Nutrition Conference and Expo while Mark was home with our girls. And yeah, so I guess, Mark, how, how, did, how did the few days go that I was away in Philadelphia? You were away in Philadelphia? Yeah. Were you not here with our children? Who, who was taking care of them? I was in Philadelphia too. City of brotherly love. Coming to you live from Philadelphia, Fincy 2019. Oh my gosh. Okay. So if you haven't met Mark, he was on the husband's tell-all episode from February And uh, I think that's the only time he hasn't been on since. And I guess it's pretty obvious. So you guys survived me being away and your parents came to help. You guys did Halloween stuff. Anything else noteworthy? We ate a lot of pizza. Uh, That's about it. Yeah, that was my my question in coming home was, did my children eat a fruit or vegetable uh, over the past couple of days? And, And the answer was pretty much no. So. That said, Mark, what did we have for dinner tonight? We had lentils, lots and lots of lentils. So one of my 2019 goals that I haven't voiced on the podcast anyway is that I do want to look for more ways to include legumes in our diet. And yeah, so we had lentils tonight for dinner. And how many servings did you eat? Be honest. Three. You said they were the best lentils you've had all week. That's a true statement. So they weren't so bad. And I would say the girls enjoyed them too. I'll, it was a, I don't even know what it was, a creamy coconut lentil curry. I'll, I'll leave the, uh, the recipe in the show notes because it was, it was definitely a good recipe. So before jumping in, uh, if you would like to do so, please check us out on Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com backslash dietitians dish. A small monthly donation, as small as $1 can help support the work of our podcast. So if you love what you're hearing, please consider doing so. Um, We're going to be releasing content for our patrons. Uh, I'll make fun of myself now. I was calling everyone Patreons, but they are patrons. Uh, Oops. So thanks to our patrons. Uh, So kind of jumping into the topic of the Food and Nutrition Conference and Expo, and just for the ease of saying it, I'll call it FENCE, F-N-C-E, as an abbreviation. And it's the Big Dietitian Conference. Tens of thousands of dietitians, okay, just over 10,000, but still dietitians come together from all over the world to learn about industry updates, controversial topics, and kind of the latest trends in food and innovation, as well as food production. So ironically, the last time I went to Fancy was in Chicago several years ago, and that was the last time I saw Gina before she approached me about uh, starting this podcast. So uh, we've seen each other a couple of times since then, but uh, yeah, Fancy is kind of where we kind of reconnect. So that was fun to see Gina. And we both went to lots of, we went to different uh, sessions. And so uh, we've got, I've got quite a few different just kind of highlights that are things that Gina and I both took away from our time at Fancy. So in addition to different learning sessions, if you will, or breakout sessions, there's also this huge expo. Um, that's what it's called. And it's it's more or less every food company uh, nutrition product under the sun 
comes together and is offering some type of education material or marketing material. And of course, many, 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 many food samples. And so it's a really great way to try new products that are on the market. And I would say overall trends this year that we noticed was a big transition away from bars. So in the past, there's just been a ton of bar this, bar that, um, just lots of snack and protein options. And the the shift has really been towards lower carb options, everything from more plant-based to the use of cauliflower in just about everything. Uh, we tried a blend burger of like mushrooms and soy, uh, as well as um, beef. It was it was kind of a 50-50 plant, plant uh, meat option. We tied jackfruit tacos, which do you even know what jackfruit is, Mark? Uh, are those the big spiky things in the grocery store? I It is a fruit. I actually don't recall what it looks like, but I believe you're correct. I think it's the big weird looking fruits, but you can season them up really well and they have really great texture. And so they're being used as a meat substitute. Yeah, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's like the giant fruit. I might be wrong, but it, I think it's the giant spiky fruit, and I don't think it tastes good by itself. Okay, well, it made some darn good tacos. Those were probably the highlight of the expo for me. Um, there's a huge shift as well towards allergen-friendly foods, so we're seeing a lot less wheat or um, nut-based bars and a lot more seeds and things along those lines. FODMAPs, um, which we did a whole episode on the low FODMAP diet, but it is huge, 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 huge. Um, Gina does follow a low FODMAP diet or a modified low FODMAP uh, diet. And so she's super interested in those products. There was a ton of plant-based milks, uh, lots and lots there. So everything from oat and almond to soy, they were all there. And some were good, some were not so good, but be sure to check out episode 17 on milk alternatives for more kind of nutrition-based information. Our favorite food products overall, um, we both had never tried the LaCroix apricot flavor and we both really liked that. Gina had also never had the key lime LaCroix and I know you like that too, Mark, um, but she that's like her new favorite drink. Uh, the Jackfruit Company, as I already said, we really like the Silk Oat Milk and the Kali Power Crust, which we just bought cauliflower pizza crust at the grocery store and I, I actually didn't glance at the brand, but you made them while I was away, right? Yes, I made one. And? I think if you're really craving pizza and you can like mentally separate the crust from the toppings, it's fine. Like the crust is not horrible, but <laughs> if you think about it, then you can definitely taste the cauliflower. Like it's not the same, but if you're craving pizza and you're really hungry, you can like look past the cauliflower taste. So there's still always cheese and turkey pepperoni. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mark is a pizza connoisseur for anyone who didn't know. He, he he probably ate pizza every day that I was in Philadelphia. He's doing the mental math. Yep, that was a yes. Um, so those are just kind of the highlights. I would say overall, the expo is not the highlight for me. Um, at Fancy, I it's a lot of people in a really small space and everybody loves free stuff. So it's just a bunch of vultures, I would say. Um, but we I did grab a bunch of swag and we're going to do a uh, giveaway on an upcoming episode. So be sure to listen in. All right. So in kind of jumping into this, the different sessions that Gina and I attended, we attended different sessions uh, by and large. And so I always like to make fun of Gina because she's a lover of the dietary guidelines and the new food labels. And not that I'm not, but I would say it's much more applicable to her day-to-day -day job than it is mine. And so she kind of shared some of her takeaways. We we would compare notes in the evening hours over dinner and just kind of 
uh, you know, learn from one another because it's impossible to attend all the sessions. Um, and so one of the the sessions on dietary guidelines, the big takeaway was that sugar is a causal factor in heart disease, even when when controlled for weight gain. And so what that's more or less saying is that aside from weight status, sugar is linked to heart disease. And so there's a direct correlation there. It's huge, 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 huge. Um, we don't love to hear that, but it's definitely worth mentioning. Overall, the dietary guidelines are changing for carbohydrate recommendations as well. The daily value is going from 300 grams a day to 275, and that's based on the the standard 2,000 calorie diet. Um, overall, there seems to be some some strong research in support of lower carb diets. Um, however, there is no true definition of a low carb diet. One proposed definition from Tulane in the article that I'm linking in the show notes is that a low carb diet would be one that is comprised of less than 45% of calories from carbohydrate. Uh, And so again, calorie intake is going to vary widely from individual to individual. And so that that number is going to vary widely. The daily recommended intake is at least 130 grams a day. And I think where this, and I've mentioned it on the podcast before too, that that number that really represents the minimum rather than the optimal daily intake. So when we think about things like, um, you know, trying to to limit the body's necessity to create glucose from non-glucose sources, that's where that 130 grams a day comes from. And, you know, for individuals who participate in intense exercise, the body is is kind of utilizing 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour. So again, that carbohydrate recommendation is going to vary a lot based on a person's activity level. And so that's that's just a huge, I would say carbohydrates was a, a focus of the presentation, as well as uh, a push for increasing polyunsaturated fats in the diet, even ahead of the monounsaturated fats. The other portion of the presentation focused on um, the realistic portion sizes, moving away from multiple servings per container where the, the kind of the, the product, if you will, is marketed and sold as more or less a single serving. So one of the things that Gina had you know given me as an example was Gatorade, you know, really putting the total number of, you know, the label is going to represent that entire portion. So whether it's 24 ounces or whatever, it's not going to be eight ounces anymore. It seems a little deceiving to look at the the nutrition label that represents eight ounces when most people are going to drink the whole thing. The other part on the food labels, the new food labels that will include vitamin D and potassium, the amount, so the actual milligrams or micrograms will be added in addition to the percent of the daily value. So that's huge. The labels are going to be showing added sugar. So not just total sugars. I think especially with things like yogurt, where there's a lot of hidden sugars, as well as natural sugars, that's going to really help the consumers uh, pinpoint the best choice for them. So in 2020, big food companies and and what defines a big food company, I, I didn't get that level of detail, but big food companies are going to be required in 2020 to adopt the new food label. And by 2021, all food companies that are required to have nutrition labeling will be required to adopt the new food label standard. So that's all kind of going on. Uh, another session that Gina attended, and I unfortunately did not uh I went to a different session was on intuitive eating. And so this is this is very buzzy uh, in in the nutrition world right now. And I guess, yeah, I don't know, Mark, what do you what is intuitive eating? Like, how would you define that? What you want? <laughs> Any other details? Nope. 
intuitive that, that like, is that see it, eat it, or are there any types, uh, is it more touchy feely than that? I don't know. I think we're on different pages on all of this because when you think about, uh, recommended portion sizes or whatever you were talking about a minute ago and like the recommended portion size for ice cream is not a half a cup, but two thirds of a cup, like who eats two thirds of a cup? That's not realistic either. So I don't think I'm an intuitive eater in general. So I don't think it really matters. I would agree. You are not probably an intuitive eater. Um, well, and so since we're on the topic, I can, I can kind of make fun of you a little bit. So Mark likes to skip breakfast, eat a light lunch. Usually you do pretty well at lunch. Like you eat healthy. I would say like you usually have a salad for lunch. He's, he's bobbing his head. And then at dinner, what does that look like? What, what does your evening look like? Lentils tonight. (laughs) Yeah. What is your average evening look like? Lots of lentils. Okay. What about after the lentils? Lots of candy and ice cream and cookies and cereal. A cereal, lot. sometimes cereal. Usually cereal before candy and ice cream and cookies. <laughs> I w- he is not he is not exaggerating at all whatsoever. Every evening is usually several trips to his his upper cabinet that he helps himself to large portions of all of the above. So it's okay. Cause I got intense exercise. So I'm burning 60 grams of carbohydrates per hour. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. So intuitive eating is, is not see it, eat it. It's really getting, uh, becoming more mindful about your relationship with food, the reasons that you're eating, the portions that you're eating, the environment and all of that in which you're eating and really being sure that you are using food for the right reasons, I guess you could say. That's kind of how I would define intuitive eating. And I am not an expert by any means. I'm actually going on this journey with my coworkers because we are creating a class. And one of the other dietitians is kind of leading the initiative. Uh, We're doing a four-part series starting in January that's going to be free to the community focused on intuitive eating. So it's going to include some exercises. And I know one of them, she's described it to me as I think she used Triscuits as the product that she used in the class, but it was, you know, having people close their eyes, eat a Triscuit, you know, really make it like chew it for like 30 seconds, 60, you know, 30, 60 seconds, really focusing on what does it smell like? What is the texture? What are, what are the flavors and the taste? Um, just really becoming just more intentional, if you will, about eating and enjoying food and making sure that it is, it's a, it's a healthy relationship with food. I enjoy food. I'm very cognizant of portion sizes. For example, I highly recommend Prairie Farms ice cream because they still use a half gallon container, unlike all the other brands that have cut back to a much smaller portion. So there's a sponsor out there from Prairie Farms that wants to sponsor the podcast. Still have the half gallon container for Prairie Farms ice cream. Oh, dear Lord. Okay. This is what I have to work with people. Uh, yeah. So there's a new book, Intuitive Eating, uh, also linked in the show notes. A ver- new version is coming out in June of 2020 uh, for both practitioners and the public. So we'll link that in the show note. Uh, the big, the quote, the takeaway here, and we did kind of spoil alert it on uh, social media while we were at Fancy, but the quote that Gina took away was the biggest predictor of weight gain is dieting. And so that is huge. There was actually a lot of sessions focused on more or less getting away from the diet 
just diet culture in general. So that's that's a really, really, really big shift in the nutrition field right now. And now that I'm saying that, Mark, he was asking, what questions do I get to ask you or what are you going to ask me? And I was like, we're just going to kind of ad lib. I would be curious to know because nutrition has changed. I've been in the field for over 10 years professionally and studying it for 16. Um, what would you say you've noticed in myself and kind of how I practice nutrition in my life? How has it changed since we started dating in 2013? Uh, I think, well, first of all, we didn't start dating in 2013, but okay. Oh, 2003. Oops. Oops. I missed a decade. 2003. Anyway, uh, I mean, I would say that when we first met, you were generally focused on calories. So diet soda or low calorie sugar substitutes or just mainly focused on calories. And then I think you've evolved from calories to more, I don't know, natural, organic type of uh, items. The first times I saw that, I think were even like, you know, going from like, egg beaters to eggs or turkey bacon to regular bacon. So generally, I think you just went from low calorie foods back to normal foods like, uh, you know, 50 years ago. And, and, you know. No, I totally agree with you. Um, it was funny because when we started dating, you didn't drink any soda. I don't think certainly not diet soda. And you always say that I got you stuck on it. And you, you don't really drink a lot of diet soda now. I've kind of got you on the LaCroix now. You you tend to pick up my habits, but I haven't drank soda in a long time, um, diet or regular soda. And Mark Mark picked that up for me um, a long, 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 long time ago. But yeah, I totally agree with, agree with what you said, that the shift has really become, I, I mean, I'll put words in your mouth, maybe whole foods, kind of foods and, you know, kind of a a lot of fruits and vegetables. You always complain when we go to the grocery store because it takes forever to check out because we have 8 million different bags and they're keying in all the numbers and um, he's rolling his eyes at me. But yeah, I really focused on cooking as well. Do you think that's fair? Yes, that's fair. A lot of cooking. Um, so yeah, look for the new intu- intuitive eating book. And uh, I think we, I would like to do a whole episode on intuitive eating. It's It's really trendy for all the right reasons right now. So that's exciting to see. Uh, one of the sessions I was interested in attending and did attend was, uh, it was called Career Essential, Create and Build Your Personal Brand. And for me, you know, this is kind of in addition to my work life. I've operated Prevention RD, my blog, since 2009. So t- over 10 years, it was 10 years in June. And there really hasn't been any lapse in my content you know, flowing onto the blog. And Mark actually told me when I started the the blog that it was never going to last. And here we are 10 and a half years later, it's, you know, created a lot of career opportunities for me as far as cookbooking, just monetizing my blog. It's been a wonderful outlet just to express my creativity and love for cooking. And I also love to write. People always say I write like I talk, and that's probably really true. And so the speaker, her name was Sharice, I believe. Oh, I had it pulled up here. Yes, Sharice McAdoo. And I believe I pronounced that correctly. She works at LinkedIn. 
And she did a session um, about this personal brand. And a lot of it was focused on authenticity. And she's, you know, she just said authenticity wins and that 85% of influence comes from soft skills. And so really I, I see that and how that translates into all facets of my life, but really just the confusion that can be with the ever evolving social media and all of the ways that we can present ourselves online through apps or whatever it is. And then when we can't really provide that consistent in-person um, just vibe, how that how that doesn't lend to people respecting you and and just how it can create some some bland, brand unloyalty. So that was a really meaningful session for me. And just the importance of telling a story is something that Sharice also uh, kind of hit home, just allowing people to know you. And I know this is something that Mark struggles with a little bit because whether you know me in real life or from my blog or from the podcast, you probably have learned that I am willing to share just about anything with anyone. And Mark is a much more private person. So I, I guess my question to you, Mark, is do you find that me having a personal brand and being involved in things such as a blog and a podcast is do you do you think of that as being something negative? Do you think that really fits with my personality and kind of who I am? Um, just yeah, I mean, if you, personality test wise and all of that. Yeah, I mean, I think generally you're whether it's blogging or podcasting or in person, you're an outgoing person, right? So I was talking to somebody just this week about the fact that they were moving away from their spouse. So they're going to different, they're going to be living in different locations on a semi-permanent basis. So for a couple of years or whatever. And I was talking to this person and they said that they were like very outgoing and social and they were worried about their, you know, when they leave, like, and they're in a different state, living in a different state that their husband, basically all of their friends and all their relationships were built by this person and her husband, you know, is very introverted and will probably just like stay home and watch TV. And I was like, yep, totally me. And I'd be happy doing it. So definitely, I think difference in terms of, uh, I think your the way you act in terms of life shows up in your blog and podcast and it's very extroverted for sure. I am a far, I'm a, I'm a big E for sure. <laughs> On Myers-Briggs, I'm a big, big E. That is my strongest uh, personality trait for sure. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's just important to know that at the end of the day, I don't have the biggest blog, I don't have the best blog, I don't have the biggest podcast, the best podcast, but it is authentic, it is true. Um, I, I, what resonates with people the most is when they're, I probably do quote unquote overshare. And so that's something that, you know, Mark and I are very different. I appreciate a lot that he is willing to roll with that and not... Uh, give me too much flack for my passions and interests. And yeah, so I think, you know, overall personal brand is something that, you know, when you have, in my case, a full-time job and two little kids, it's it's something that you always know you want to work on. You, it, It's this elusive thing that it, it just takes passion and, and time and effort. And I'm always trying to find out ways to be most efficient in in kind of growing and developing my personal brand. So I thought Sharice's presentation was really great. Um, yeah. And I just thought it was worth sharing. Huge shift. Um, one of my last sessions I went to was on childhood on hydration. And so just 
childhood hydration in general, it's not something that there's a lot of recommendations around. There are recommendations for the amount of milk that children should drink and the amount of juice that children should drink. Uh, But water is kind of something entirely new. So Mark, let me ask you, do you think it's important that our children greatly limit or altogether avoid juice, soda, and other sugar-sweetened beverages? And if so, why? Well, I just don't think it's necessary, right? I mean, I think that milk and water are good options. So I don't know if like limiting it is, I guess those are things that whether it's juice or soda or whatever, we talked about diet soda a few minutes ago and how you kind of got me onto the diet soda and then you left it and moved on. I mean, I think it's kind of follows that same concept of like, if I didn't have diet soda and I didn't need diet soda and then I'm exposed to it, like, is it really benefiting me or I don't know, pick, pick whatever else smoking or whatever. (laughs) I mean, there's not really, if there's not a a health benefit to it, you may experience it at some time in your life. Kids will of course experience juice at school or birthday parties or whatever, but do I feel the need to introduce it or to supply it at a very young age? I would say no, because once it's there, I mean, you know, my mom was shocked this weekend that the girls would just like eat a carrot without it being sliced up or, you know, the, the, the outside taken off. Like, yeah, if, I mean, if I'm going to give them sliced up carrots with ranch, they're going to eat sliced up carrots with ranch and they're never going to eat a whole carrot by itself. Same concept here. If I give them juice, they're not going to drink water like, or, you know, milk in, in the, recommended portion sizes because juice is an option. I would do the same. So I guess that's kind of where I land on the issue. Yeah, it's it it's true. I mean, all people love sugar and salt and fat. We are we are designed to to love those things. That's universal and that's why we see obesity and chronic diseases on the rise in developing countries. And as the access to those foods increase, the problems do as well. And so, you know, obviously that's important to me. Um, and it, it, you know, as Mark mentioned, we do not make a habit of really ever including juice in our children's diet. It, it just happens. Um, whether it's, birthday party or a school something. And and so it's reserved for kind of a special occasion only type thing. But uh, soda and any other type of sugar sweetened beverages, including chocolate milk, are not something that we personally include in their diets. They we do not have picky eaters. We do not have children who need to gain weight. So I think a lot of that is circumstantial as well. So um, every child is different, but that's just something that I think he and I are very aligned on. So hydration recommendation, however, um, so looking at one to two years of age, the amount of hydration needed is between eight and 32 ounces a day. And so that's, that's overall hydration with two to three cups of that or 16 to 24 ounces coming from whole milk and up to four ounces of 100% juice a day. So that is is one recommendation. So that doesn't leave a ton for water if children happen to to really like milk. At two to three years of age, it's the same recommendations, but the recommendation is to switch from whole milk to a low-fat or fat-free variety. And then at four to five years of age, the hydration recommendations are 12 to 40 ounces a day. So that's a big, big, big range there. It's going to depend a lot on you know, the temperature it is outside, the activity of the child, all of that. Um, but 12 to 40 ounces a day with up to two and a half cups of low fat milk or fat free milk. And it's the same juice recommendation. So, um, and I think the biggest takeaway there, so 
is that the two things, the amount of water that children drink greatly, greatly varies. And so the important thing is to offer it often and in plentiful amounts so that children always have access to it. And and so it's one of those things where you're the provider and the child's kind of the, um, the, de- the decision maker as to how much is drank. But overall, if we can kind of stick to the four ounces or less of juice a day with a strong, strong, strong nudge to please consider um, watering it down with at least, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent um, water to, to just lessen that super sweet flavor. Uh, and then also being cognizant of how much milk is offered. So some children love milk. I know our, our little Shea bug, she would drink milk all day long. How much milk do you think Shea would drink a day if we let her? I don't know, but what five-year-old is drinking 12 ounces a day? Five-year-old would be dead. Come on, 12 ounces a day of liquids? Total liquids, 12 ounces a day. Are you kidding me? I, I'm just- Whose I, guideline is this? I, this is this is from Fancy. Oh my goodness. Um I, I this, these were my notes, people. I will if anyone else has questions, I'll I'll confirm. But uh, the, all the slides are are posted, so this is this is information out there. The other big takeaway was that in order to reduce dental caries, milk and juice should be served and from a cup and at meal times only. So that's huge. I think a lot of children are being offered milk and juice all throughout the day. And it's basically this constant um, influx of of sugar into the mouth. And so it's not giving teeth that opportunity to naturally get rid of the, the sugars. And, and so that's not good. So we don't want children having cavities. So only offer milk and juice at mealtimes from a cup. And the last session I attended, which no one was surprised about, I posted about this on Instagram and it got a lot of laughs, was on craft beer. And I don't even know if I told you that, but I did. So 13% of the overall beer market is craft beer um, kind of owned. And it's growing, craft beer is growing at a rate of about 4% a year while overall beer sales um, from domestics and, and other imports are stagnant or down just a bit. So craft beer is really kind of slowly taking over the market. Uh, just a couple fun facts. Cleopatra was the first to tax beer. And as early as 4,000 BC, women were brewing beer. So it was a lot about history of beer as well. Um, the speaker was very happy to see that, like everything at Fancy, the majority of the attendees were women and that the number of people who really seemed to have a passion and interest of beer was was quite high. So she's really glad to see you know, women breaking into the craft beer kind of just hobby, if you will. And she really accredits that to cider being the reason that women are growing in fondness for craft beer. So she kind of pinned cider as kind of the gate, the gateway. Um, and then another fun fact, 70% of flavor from beer comes from the yeast. So that she called it the secret sauce. It's usually credits given to the hops for the flavor in beer, but she said that that is not true, that 70% of the flavor is coming from the yeast. So that was really interesting. She went through the whole brewing process and it's quite intricate. It it makes me appreciate um, my love for beer all the more. So um, I don't know that we have any mom wins or new products. Uh, I don't think Mark does either, but we do have a new five-star review on iTunes. So it is from Candy Aragema. I probably butchered that, but she said, podcast review RD to RD. 
Love, love, love listening to this podcast. I might be biased as a dietitian myself, but it's fun to hear other RDs' perspectives on topics and life updates. These ladies are entertaining, down to earth, and provide great nutrition topics to listen to. Highly recommend. Smiley face. So that was really sweet. Um, glad to hear it. And we're hoping uh, to, especially at least after Fancy, to have some new dietitian friends out there. So that was awesome. And coming up on November 17th, we'll be dishing about staying balanced over the holidays. Also coming up, we have a listener Q&A. So we would love, love, love to hear your questions. Could be on just about anything. Could be something fancy related or baby led weaning or breastfeeding or why Gina loves at the Ohio State Buckeyes. We don't, it could be anything. So throw us your questions. Our email is dietitiansdishpodcast at gmail.com or find us on social media at dietitiansdish. Um, so keep up with us on social media, Facebook and Instagram. Also, please tell your friends about us. They can find us on numerous outlets such as Overcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. And if you are listening on iTunes, be sure to leave us a review. We promise it just takes a few seconds. Um, until next time, be well. And Mark, anything you want to share? Hashtag Furry Farms ice cream. Hashtag Cabot cheese. Hashtag see ya on InstaTwit. <laughs> Ciao. Ciao. Oh my goodness. That's it for this time. We will see you later in the month for a chat on Thanksgiving. See you then. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening for the podcast. Bye-bye.